There was an old coal miner who was injured as a young man on the job, rendering him an invalid for the rest of his life. His company refused to help him, and so he lived the remainder of his days as a, a broken, broken man. Confined to a small, dilapidated home, he stared day after day out the window as other people lived their full lives. But this man had an infectious and great faith in the love of Jesus for him that, in spite of his circumstances, came through to others. In fact, his faith was so well known that people in the town talked about him and knew him for his love for Jesus and his belief in Jesus' love for him. One day, a man from that town, a younger man, came to visit the old coal miner at his home. Having heard the stories about his enduring faith of God's love for him, and they exchanged a little bit of small talk, and finally the young man asked the old coal miner the question that he had come there to ask him. As you look around your house today, the young man said, your circumstances and your brokenness, do you really believe that Jesus loves you? The old coal miner answered, I have my moments of doubt. I have my moments where I give myself over to fears and my pain. And oftentimes the enemy visits me right here in this home. He comes here day after day, Satan himself, and he, he points me out the window of this home to healthy people who are living their full lives. And he whispers to me, does Jesus really love you? The enemy points me out my window right here in this home and he points me to uncaring people and particularly in this company who refuse to pay and to help me and he mocks me and laughs, does Jesus really love you? I mean, come on. He points me to the possessions of other people that they've amassed through the years while I've sat here in this home and he laughs and he says, does Jesus really love you? And then finally, he points me to my friend's grandchildren, the grandchildren that I was never able to have because of this injury. He points me to them and he laughs and he says, I mean, come on, does Jesus really love you? The young man was startled by the man's candor and he finally asked him, well, how do you answer? How do you respond to that? And the old coal miner said, I point the enemy to a hill far away, to an old rugged cross where Jesus died for my sins. When the enemy comes and questions and mocks my faith in the love of Jesus, I point him in Jesus' nail-pierced hands and his spear-pierced side to the stripes on his chest and his back, the price that he paid for me. And finally, I wait for the enemy to cringe and I point him to an empty tomb where Jesus was resurrected, paying for my death once and for all. And I say back to him, doesn't Jesus love me? You see, Easter is God's way of saying to each and every one of us, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I know so many of you today bring into this room across all of our campuses hurts and, and pain and, and fears and confusion and doubt and brokenness. And the message today is a simple one that you are not the product of your circumstances, 
that your value and worth is not found in what's around you, good or bad. Your value and your worth is found in the resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. Something is worth what someone will pay for it. Do you know that? Something is worth what someone will pay for it. And guess what God paid for you? His only son. Easter is God's way of saying, I love you. And God demonstrated this love by sending his son, Jesus, to die in your place and to be resurrected, defeating your death once and for all. On Friday, let me put it this way. On Friday, Jesus wrote a check covering all of your sins and brokenness, past, present, and future. At the cross, he wrote a check for your sins. And on Sunday, that check cleared the bank. And now it says, you with me? And now it says, paid in full. All of your regrets and your mistakes, all of your brokenness, past, present, and future have been paid through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. There's nothing that you can add to it, and there's nothing you need to add to it. It's complete. God loves you today. God loves you today, the same that he loved you yesterday, and he'll love you tomorrow the same that he loves you today. His love is unfailing and unending, and all he asks is that you put your trust in him, that you stop trusting in yourself or even your circumstances, good or bad, and you begin to believe him and trust in him. He can make you new. And because of that, Easter is the most important event in human history. What we celebrate today is the most important event in human history. And you say, Chris, there's a lot of things that have happened in the history of mankind. Are you really saying that the resurrection is the most important one? Yes, unequivocally. It's the most important thing that's ever happened. Pastor Tim Keller said this. He said, what really hangs in the balance, what really is the tipping point of everything is not whether you like the teachings of Jesus or not. What is the tipping point is whether Jesus rose from the grave or not. Is Jesus alive or not? That changes everything. And because of that, it's the most important thing that has ever happened for any of us. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, you're going to find an account of the Easter story. There's four of them in in all four Gospels. Every Gospel mentions the resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at Matthew's account today. We're going to go back to the very first Easter and looking at the importance of the resurrection. Let's go back to that very first morning, Matthew chapter 28. If you have the app, you can open it there. It's already preloaded for you. Or open a copy of the scriptures in front of you. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. This is the resurrection account. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day, that is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and its clothing was white as snow. Verse 4, and for fear of him, the guards trembled, and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And then the greatest announcement that's ever been, he is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay, 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the resurrection And the resurrection displays some very important things for us to see this morning. The first, it displays God's great power. The Easter story shows each and every one of us the great power of God over even sin and death. Look at the first four verses describing the angel descending and rolling the stone back. Look at the language that's used. There was a great earthquake. The earth itself shook The angel of the Lord descends and he rolls back the stone and he sits on it. And it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I imagine that he crossed his arms and and crossed his legs and said, now what? Defeating death forever. His appearance, the angel's appearance was like lightning. His clothing was was white as snow. And the guards, these these hardened guards who who were battle-tested, trembled with fear. And it says they were like dead men. They were frozen. You ever been frozen with fear? You just can't even move or speak? The air goes out of their lungs. They're so afraid at what's happening. The great power of God on display at the resurrection. But there's more. Look at the interaction of the angel with the women who have come to the tomb that morning. He addresses them and says, do not be afraid. This phrase is repeated twice in Matthew's resurrection account. In other words, don't allow your fears, watch this, don't allow your fears to keep you from Jesus. Don't allow what what, what makes you the most afraid, the greatest fear that you have to keep you from Jesus. For most of us, the greatest fear that we have is death itself. And this account shows us that even death has been swallowed up and the victory of Jesus. The angel says to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. What a wonderful phrase. In spite of your doubts, don't you imagine they had doubts? The rabbi, the teacher, the master that they had followed and believed was the Messiah has been killed. They have doubts about what he taught them. They have doubts about if he's ever going to be seen again. They have, they have fears and concerns and questions. The disciples themselves are nowhere to be found. Where are they? They're holed up in a room, afraid to come out. And it's the women that go to the tomb. And this is worth mentioning, that at Jesus' birth, his announcement was first given to a lower class of people called the shepherds. Did you know that the shepherds weren't even allowed to go into the temple to worship because they were considered unclean? And guess who the birth of Jesus is announced to first? That's right, the shepherds. The women who in that society and culture were not allowed to publicly testify in court. They weren't allowed to enter into most of the areas of the temple to worship. And guess who gets to hear about the resurrection of Jesus first? It's as if God is reminding us that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. There is therefore now no Jew or Gentile or, or, or male or female or, or, or slave or free man. All of us are equal in the eyes of God. The gospel makes us equal. This is a powerful statement that is made here. 
And these women show amazing courage in the face of their fears, and we can too. They're overwhelmed with grief and doubts and questions, but they still seek Jesus, and we can too. My encouragement to you today, among many things, as we look at this this Easter story, is to continue to seek Jesus in your life, wherever you may be with him, whatever you believe about him, to continue to seek Jesus. Who is he? What are his claims over uh, over your life? Is he worth following and trusting? Seek Jesus as these women display for us today. And then the key verse, verse 6, the announcement of, of all announcements as they seek Jesus, as they, as they go to the tomb, the guards are, 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 are dead with fear, but they're still there and engaged, and the angel addresses them. He says, do not be afraid, for he is risen. He's not here. He's not here anymore. And with those words, history changed. Listen, guys, death was undefeated up until this point, never lost until this moment. And death is defeated once and for all through the resurrection of Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. C.S. Lewis said it this way about the Easter account and the power that it displays. At Easter, something perfectly new in the history of mankind happens. Christ defeated death. The door that had been locked has been kicked wide open for us. And the angel says to the women, come and see now, this door that's been kicked open. Come and see where he lay. In other words, bring all of your fears, bring all of your doubts, bring all of your brokenness, bring all of your pain, bring everything with you and come and see where he lay because he's not here anymore. And because of that, you can live and you can have hope and freedom. You see, Easter, Easter is not good advice about how you're meant to love God. This is not a sermon or a message about how you're meant to take some steps and love God and six steps to a, to a better you. That's not what Easter is. It's not good advice. Easter is good news about what God has done to love you. It's not good advice about what you do to love God. The Bible reminds us that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, at your worst moment, the moment that you wouldn't want to tell anybody else about, especially on an Easter Sunday as you're all looking so good. You wouldn't want to tell anybody around you about your worst moment. At that moment, guys, everyone watch this. At that moment, Christ died for you. At your worst, God loved you the best. Wow. And the power of that love rolled what forever separated you and God away. And now we're welcome to come in to see that he's not there anymore. Every single world religion, every single world religion except for one agrees on this. You've got to do something to work your way to God. Investigate it for yourself. Whether it's three prayers or five pillars, every single world religion agrees that you need to do something by your meritorious behavior to prove your worth to God. You've got to take steps towards him and maybe just maybe then he'll find you worthy to accept Only Christianity alone amidst the pantheon of other world religions and beliefs says, no, God came to you. God walked towards you. God loved you when you were running the other direction and unlovable. And that is the message of Christ. That is the message of the resurrection, that God loved you that much. Let me say it another way. Religion says, I really messed up. Dad's going to kill me. 
the gospel says, I really messed up. I better call dad. You hear the difference? That's the power of God's love. And it's on display perfectly at Easter. If a picture speaks a thousand words, then Easter is God's power saying a thousand times over, I love you, I love you, I love you. But there's more. There's even more here. Easter doesn't just display God's power. It certainly does that over sin and death forever. But it also displays God's plan. There was a reason for the resurrection, and the reason for the resurrection is you. There was a reason why God displayed his power over sin and death in this miraculous way. It was to be in a right relationship with each and every one of you, and this was the only way. This was the only way for God to send his son and to live a perfect life, to die in your place and to defeat death forever, once and for all, for you. God's plan for you is found in verse 9, Matthew chapter 28. Look at it with me. After the angel instructs the women to to go and tell the disciples, and they leave quickly with fear and joy to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is alive, that he's risen. Look at verse 9. As they're running to do that, behold, Jesus met them. And Jesus greets them. He speaks to them. And then watch this. Verse 9. They grab a hold of his feet, and what do they do? They worship him. They worship him. And Jesus allows it because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's the only one worthy to be worshipped. And this should be our response as well. That when we see Jesus high and lifted up, as we do today, that we grab a hold of him and we never let go. And we worship him for everything that we have and in everything that we do because he is worthy to be worshiped. That's the purpose of your life. So many of you wonder, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? It's found here in verse 9, to grab onto Jesus and to worship him. In everything you do, in your business, in your education, as parents, as grandparents, in everything you do in life to worship Jesus. They display this so beautifully here for us. The reason for the resurrection, guys, is a relationship with Jesus. That's why God did it all. The resurrected king, listen to this, the resurrected king is now resurrecting you and me. The resurrecting king, resurrected king is now resurrecting you and me. Paul said it this way about Easter. He said, for as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. What is Paul saying? There was a man named Adam who brought sin and death into this world. He couldn't do it. Brokenness entered into the world and has infected each and every one of us. We're broken people. We're sinful people. We're separated from God because of our brokenness. We've done this here before. It's not scientific, but any perfect people in here? Okay, we got two back here. Other than you guys, there's always two, sometimes one. None of us are perfect, right? None of us are perfect. So here's the question. Since none of us are perfect, how good is good enough? Oh, Chris, good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. No, they don't. Forgiven people go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. People who have trusted in Christ and who realize, who realize that my life is not worthy on its own, that I'm a broken person. If there was any other way 
If there was any other way to have a relationship with God, if there was any other way, do you think God would have sent his only son to die a criminal's death in your place? When Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. It was the only way for us to come back into relationship with God. Our sin, make no mistake about this, our sin, your sin, sent Jesus to the cross. But he willingly went. And make no mistake, it was his love and his plan that held him there. It was for each of you. Because Easter was God's ultimate plan to bring you back into relationship with him. And the resurrection of Jesus accomplished everything needed for you to have a relationship with God. Here's the truth. We are unfinished people. We are unfinished, broken people who are trusting in the finished work of Christ. We're broken people who are trusting in the completed work of Jesus on our behalf. And we see that on display at Easter. So the most important event in human history, the resurrection, the most important thing that has ever happened demands your consideration. It demands your response. You can't be wishy-washy about the resurrection. Either Jesus rose from the grave or he didn't. You can't be kind of in but kind of out. You're either in or you're out. You believe in Jesus or you don't. And it demands your consideration. The reason for Easter is not for you to get dressed up and eat deviled eggs. There's something so much more to that. There's something so much more than all of that. And consider this, for those of you today who would say, I I hear you talking about the Bible and and telling us a story from the Bible, and of course the Bible is going to say that, of course it's going to attest to itself, let's consider the evidence, okay, because the resurrection demands our consideration. You got to at least meet me there. You got to consider this. Did it happen or not? Was Jesus real or not? Did he rise from the, the grave or not? You have to consider it. And if we take even the Bible just for a second, just for a moment, Let's put the Bible aside and let's look at extra biblical writings, writings that took place outside of the scriptures. We know historically by fact from documents outside of the scriptures that there was a Jesus of Nazareth that existed in the first century. And we know that he went and proclaimed himself as the Messiah. We know that he performed many miracles. We know that historically. We know that the Romans crucified this man from evidence outside of the scriptures. And we know that on the third day, many of his followers and disciples claimed that he was alive. And not only that, they continued to meet together and they expanded and expanded and expanded and expanded. And this thing called the church was born. And we know from from evidence outside the scriptures that there were over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Most trials might have one or two eyewitnesses. And that's enough to put someone away. There were over 500 people that saw Jesus alive, including his brother, James. Now, if any of you have siblings, this might be the greatest evidence for the resurrection ever, that James actually believed that Jesus was the Savior and Lord and Messiah, that he was risen from the grave. Any of you have brothers and sisters? Would they ever believe that about you? I have two sisters. They would not believe that about me. Jesus' own brother believes that about him and goes on to pastor the church in Jerusalem. And consider this, because the resurrection demands our consideration at least. For just a few minutes more, let's consider the resurrection. Is it true or is it not? Where do you stand? 
consider this, produce a body, okay? The religious institution and the Romans had every reason to want to produce a body, to put all this to rest. In fact, if you read the remainder of Matthew, the last few verses, you'll see a conspiracy that they came up with to, to try to end all this so you would never hear this message. Just consider this, produce a body and it's over with. Show us the body of Jesus and it's over but they couldn't produce a body. And you say, well, yeah, that's because his disciples came and overpowered the guards and stole his body. Really? Okay, let's just play that out for a second. If if that's what happened, because that's a theory, that his disciples came, uh, overpowered these war-hardened soldiers, rolled the stone away, and then stole Jesus' body. Let's just consider for a moment that that happened, that that's how this whole myth started, the, the whole idea of Easter and this whole story, that that's where it came from. Why would the disciples go to their deaths proclaiming that it was true? Why would you die for something that you know is a lie? Everybody has somebody to tell. You have to agree with me on that. Everybody in your life has somebody to tell. Well, I'm not going to, I promise I'll keep your secret. I'm just going to, I'm telling you, but you can't tell anybody else. You're the only person I'm telling you. You can't tell anyone else. Everybody has someone to tell or text. Everybody. And you're going to tell, perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Just like we planned. Just like we planned. The disciples argued about everything, right? In fact, right before Jesus' death, they argued about who's going to be the greatest. And they keep all of this the same. They agree on this. And they go to their deaths proclaiming that Jesus is alive. Every single one of the original disciples besides John is killed for their faith. Peter is crucified upside down. He refuses to be crucified like Jesus, so they oblige him and turn him upside down and crucify him. Andrew was put on a cross, but instead of being nailed to the cross, he was tied to the cross so it would last longer. He hung on that cross for days, and you know what he did from that cross? When people would pass by, he would proclaim to them, Jesus is alive. James was killed by a sword. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was skinned alive. Thomas was run through with a spear. Matthew was stabbed in the back. James the Lest was beaten to death at the age of 94 because he refused to recount his claim that Jesus was alive. Thaddeus was crucified. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Only John escapes. And oh, by the way, he's beaten over and over and over again and exiled on a deserted island. People don't die for what they know to be a lie. People will die for what they believe to be the truth. But nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. Chuck Colson said this. He said, I know the resurrection. I know the Easter story is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. Colson said, I know this because 11 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it or changing their story. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, put into prison, and all but one killed. They would not have endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 11 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. 
You're telling me that 11 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The disciples went from hiding in the upper room, fearing for their lives, to going out into all the world and proclaiming that Jesus is alive and giving their lives, becoming missionaries and martyrs for the same message that you're hearing today, that Jesus is alive. What changed? What changed? What caused them from shaking in the upper room, being fearful for their lives, to going out and, and, and even uh, giving their lives for this truth that Jesus is alive? What changed? They saw Jesus. They saw him resurrected, and that changed everything for them. And that's the simple truth that can change everything for you. So when you leave here today, when you leave here today, and the enemy points out the window of your life to your past mistakes and your brokenness, your many failures, even that secret that you haven't told anybody. When the enemy points you to that and says, does, does Jesus really love you? How could he love you after you've done that? When the enemy today, when you, when you leave here, when he points you to that uh, thing in your life right now, that broken relationship or a marriage that's falling apart or that person that said, I don't love you anymore and they walked away from you, the most painful thing you're experiencing, when the enemy points you to that and says, I mean, get real, does Jesus really care about you or love you? When he points you to your future and so many of you have anxiety and fear about tomorrow and what's going to happen financially, relationally, something in your life, what's going to happen tomorrow? When the enemy points you to that, because, because he will, because he wants you to be defined by your circumstances and he wants you to think that you are a product of your circumstances. When he does that, when he points you that direction and mocks you and says, does Jesus really love you? Here's what you do. You point to a hill far away to an old rugged cross where Jesus died in your place. You, you, you point him to Jesus' nail-pierced hands and his spear-pierced side, to the stripes on his chest and his back where he took the punishment that should have been yours. And finally, you, you wait for him to cringe and you do this, friends. Here's what you do. You point him to an empty tomb. You point him to a tomb that no longer has a body because the grave couldn't hold him down. You point him to the tomb and you say to him as he cringes, because the enemy cringes when you point out the resurrection, because he knows it's true. You point him to Easter and you say, doesn't Jesus love me? In spite of my circumstances, my brokenness, my past, my present, my future, in spite of all of that, Easter proves to me the love of God. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Easter is God's way of saying to each and every one of you, I love you. I love you, I love you. I'm gonna ask you to do something today that so many people have done since the very first Easter, to trust in Jesus, to believe him, to take hold of him and to, to worship him. So many of you I know are even saying right now in your minds, one day maybe I'll do that. You gave me some things to think about and some compelling evidence. Maybe one day I'll consider that. Maybe, maybe one day I'll accept Jesus and trust him. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today's the day of salvation. Here's what I've learned. It can either be one day in my life or it can be day one. It can be one day or it can be day one. You make the decision. It can be one day or it can be day one with Jesus. The first day of the rest of your life and eternity with Christ. Let's pray together. The Bible says...
that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts, we trust in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If we believe the Easter story, if we believe in the resurrection, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he is indeed Lord, we'll be saved. If that's your prayer today, if you would say, Chris, the truth is, I'm not saved, I've never prayed that prayer, I've never believed or trusted in Jesus, or I'm not sure. I'm not saved or I'm not sure. Don't leave here today without being sure. You can be. If that's your prayer today, I want to trust Jesus. I want to believe in him. I want to know that I know that I know that I'm saved and I'll spend eternity with Jesus. Would you pray this prayer with me? From your heart to God's heart. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross to save me from my sins. I believe today that he rose again to life and that he invites me to live with him forever in heaven. Today, because of what Jesus has done, I ask you to forgive my sins, past, present, and future, and give me eternal life. I invite you to come into my heart and life, Jesus. I want to trust you as my Savior, and I want to follow you as my Lord. Now, help me to live my life in a way that worships you, that takes hold of you, and brings you honor for the rest of the days of my life. It's in Jesus' name that I ask and pray this. Amen. Amen.